0: In 1993, Final Approach changed the way we hunt waterfowl. Now, over 25 years later, we're back at it. My name's Mario, host of the FA Podcast. Let's talk waterfowl tips, tricks, tactics, and more. It's all going down right here with the Final Approach Podcast. Hey, what's up? What up?
1: What up there, DJ Mario?
0: (laughs) What are you doing? Driving? I'm driving. Yeah. Yeah. What else is new? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dri- yeah, yeah, yeah. Driving the life so away.
1: Yeah. So, yeah uh, we sold a farm that we had that my dad and I bought way back in the day to goose hunt on. A lot of the uh, a lot of the original uh, videos we shot there, a lot of the whistling wing stuff where we shot all the neck bands and stuff.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: It's like three hours from my house. You know, my dad, he still hunted it, whatever, but. Uh, with him passing, it's three hours from my house. I don't really have time to mess with it. Right. And, uh, so we're selling it. I'm going to go. I'm driving to the closing, actually.
0: Oh, cool. How uh, how, uh, how big was that place?
1: Uh, 23 acres. 20, yeah, 23 acres.
0: But it was a good spot?
1: It was right next to the refuge. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first fucking field they've over to go anywhere.
0: Smash them up.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, my God! Back that's... in the day, it was it lights out.
0: Ah, oh, that's got to be just perfect.
1: Oh, some things have changed, and things like sure, that, but... yeah, but you're still next yeah, to the refuge.
0: The
1: <laughs> yeah, it was Smashville, Smashville. Smash
0: bill. <laughs> so we're talking to Freddie Fred, Fred Zink Jr., Freddie Zink Jr. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, you know, what started a long time ago. And and you know it was funny. Uh, uh, talk to Ron, and and he would always bring up well, well you know once Grounds was going and helping Ron do stuff at Final Approach when it started, then it was like, it was like Grounds was would kick back and settle in and go, uh, yeah yeah yeah, uh, uh, Fred, you and you and Foils, you guys go to the shows and do everything. And hey Bob, I'm just I don't like them shows. I don't, don't want to talk to the people. I don't want to be th-. you know what I mean. And so then you and you and Foils get get held held the bag going to start selling blinds and calls and and that's kind of you know how that kind of you know began was there was there a lot of people you know grinding at those shows on the waterfowl side
1: i started actually i met grounds in 89 at the uh, u.s open in michigan city indiana um i would have been uh i would have been 19 years old and i, had, I was born a night hail double club Right, and uh, that's just what we, you know, that was like one of the better. That's kind of like one of the first short rates per se, right? Right. And uh, that's what I was using, and we were shooting the shit out of geese, and I, I just had a natural ability to blow a goose call and duck call. You know, I just some people have a natural gift at things, and I was fortunate enough to have it. And I met grounds up in Michigan. Um, my dad and I, we had a salmon fishing boat up in Benton Harbor, St. Joseph we used to drive up there, it was like four and a half hours, and we drive up there. I seen this flyer it said, uh, U.S. Open Goose Calling Contest. I was like, man, I got to check that out. So my dad, he's into everything, too, you know? <laughs> and so right. we, drove, we drove over there, and man, it's just like, I think there were 40 callers collar, there, you know? And obviously, Grounds is one of, but he had, you know, all of his pro staffers, all these people, and then Sean Mann, and Keith McGowan, and... Knight and Hale was there, uh, Randy Bartz, Flagman. Oh my God. Just like Al Dagger. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on of the people that were there that were like at the top of their game, you know? And uh, it was kind of weird that day in 1989. I met like 15 or 20 people that day that I'm still really tight with, you know, long time after that, you know? And they were like
0: I, icons and Right yeah, and sport. in the calling world or right. you know, goose hunting
1: world guides, whatever. And uh, that's how I got started. I bought some because I bought some calls from grounds. I think I bought a dozen variable tone honkers, right? And grounds, he's got he's got really curly hair, man. And <laughs> he used to have like an afro,
0: yes, he did. The
1: craziest, yes, he did. Crazy shit you ever seen, right? <laughs> and he had his hat on, Tim Grounds, and he, he always pulled his bill like like the circle of pop can. It was always really tight.
0: Oh and he my had the pro going
1: everywhere and he's like, hey Bob, shit, I blow this deal. <laughs> and he took a he was smoking a cigarette. He took a big draw of his cigarette and threw it down and blew the goose call. Like I was like two feet away from it. Blew spit smoke. and smoke all over <laughs> me, you know. I was like, wow, that's the coolest thing I ever seen, you know? And that's where I met Grounds and I bought oh. I bought a dozen of variable toes from him. And I sold him in like a week. Oh my god. Like all my hunting buddies, my uncles or whatever. And then I stopped at his house. Uh, my, my uncle Steve and I drove down to uh, we drove down to Arkansas to pick up these DuraCraft, twenty foot DuraCraft boats back in the day. It was actually the Ward Ward family. Oh yeah. Uh, the people that make go yeah, the people that make uh, War Eagle. Yeah. Uh, they actually were the original owners of Duracraft.
0: Right. Oh my god. And they
1: sold that. And I think it was Conway, Arkansas. They sold that. Yeah, that and sounds then eventually right. it actually started War Eagle later. But uh, we drove down there. We stopped by Grounds' house. And on the way back through, you know, he's like, hey, Bob, I'll be there. And <laughs> a knock on the door, knock on the door, nothing. He's been at a DU, a DU event the night before. He got all hammered up. <laughs> Shelly come to the door. And my uncle and I were standing there. And Shelly, in her day, was built like a brick shit house, right? Oh my and she had this little 90 on it. And my uncle looked at me and goes, ah. Uh, hello <laughs> <laughs> and here comes grounds he's dr- drug out hey, of bed Bob. you know he looks like he'd been ran over hey, and uh Bob. bought a bunch more calls oh my god and uh that's kind of how i got started so i started selling grounds calls like 89 or 90 and uh we started you know we started uh, zinc outdoors oh, excuse me i started selling uh, grounds call in the early 90s you know uh 91, and by uh, uh, the late '90s, like ninety, I think 90, 1998, I started a little mail art company called Zinc Outdoors. Right, and I had Grounds' calls in there. I had Duck Commander, Pattern Master, Final Approach, uh, Mossy Oak Clothing, um, Outlaw Decoys, Pattern Master. Uh,
0: Everything that was selling
1: decoys, you know, like kind of right. like the decoys you make, yeah, foam decoys, you know, and I'd paint them and sell them and do some cool shit like that. And so that's kind of how I got cranking and going, you know. And then I, I met I met foils later on, and uh, or before that, and then you know, let, rest is history. Start traveling around, right, doing shows. But to answer your question, back in the day, you know, there wasn't a Cabela's or a Bass Pro, right. Or rogers ever going to free street corner right no mail order and so the only place you could really buy cool shit was at those shows because they were like the pros were going there like it'd be it'd be guide services there and you know people pushing their own merchandise calls and, and constant decoys and cool shit
0: yeah it was and, it was grassroots because like you said i mean you couldn't 100%. you know if you didn't have like a Like a mom and pop bait shop or a mom and pop hunting store, you know, they were they were doing their stuff, but that was only in their area. There was no Internet. There was no buying stuff on Amazon. There wasn't a click and purchase. There wasn't any of that like you had to. And it wasn't like you could get information. There wasn't a ton of advertising in magazines and stuff like if you didn't go to those shows and see those people and meet those people and, and ask them all kinds of questions like, okay, am I going to spend, you know, a hundred dollars on this call or I'm going to spend, you know, $300 on this blind? Like I want to know about it because that's an awful lot of money and I need to know about this because I don't know anything about it. So at least you could stand there and talk to whoever it was. So yeah, that was, yes. it was huge. It was huge. Those shows. Crazy.
1: It was great, great information. And we saw a lot of product because we could blow goose calls and duck calls and right. we you know, Hunt, hunted all the time. There were guides. You know, we could blow the piss off a goose call. So uh I had a bunch of people help me but Foyles Wolves was my main sidekick. <laughs> and man, we used to just
0: freaking kill it, dude. dude oh. It was crazy. So Ground, Grounds was like, hey, well, <laughs> unbelievable. And he just sent boxes of shit, you know. Oh my god. He's uh he there was definitely uh grounds was one of a kind no matter what. No matter what what you did with them or dealt with him. You probably have I I would think that you might want to sit back and maybe write some of these stories or just freaking tell them and record it and just put it somewhere because I I would say probably you might have the most stories of him and some of the funniest ones because I've heard a ton of them and, you know, your stomach hurts after one and then you hear the next one and then you laugh harder on the next one and, oh, my God, it's like one after the other just pisses. Yeah, he's
1: without a doubt that probably – just because of who he was probably wasn't he didn't mean
0: to be funny like he wasn't like a comedian type of guy it was right. just him you know his personality
1: and the way he looked at shit and the way he talked and stuff like that it was just like
0: well and the the shit that happened to him
1: trying to be funny
0: right trying to be funny he was right the shit that ends up happening to him and like you said the way that he looks at it and then tells the story <laughs> it's like yeah freaking lights out definitely lights yeah. up so so yeah. you start selling stuff, helping Ron, and then like, you know, you were just like, whatever, like pro staffing, helping Ron, whatever the case may be. So then, you know, when does the when does the opportunity to to go to Avery and and like, how does that happen? Because that sets up, you know, that sets up kind of the war at retail, you know, later on. As as final approach and Avery start banging heads. So how does that how does that go down? Because that's a uh, that's a huge piece. Like if you don't go there and start that, I'm not saying that, you know, they don't start making layout blinds and decoys and I I don't know what happens. You know what I mean? Everything kind of happens for a reason and then it changes like the whole scope of the waterfowl category.
1: I think it comes down to. Uh, Ron and I actually were in business together prior. We started. He uh, had Final Approach, and then I was 50% owner of Final Approach Outdoors, uh, which was a company that made accessory bags. So we had line bags, yep. backpacks. Yep. We had like, mm, I think we had four and a gun case, four or five items, and it was called Final Approach Outdoors. And him and I were 50%, uh, 50/50 partners on it, and it was just a struggle from the standpoint of. They're all the way on the on the West Coast, and I'm right. Ohio. Right. And inventory, and at that point, that was before a lot of technology of you know Google spreadsheets, that, <laughs> where everybody could just log on. Right. And to be honest with you, it became a nightmare from the standpoint of tracking uh, product and who owed what. And I gotcha. It just becomes so complicated that it it became. Uh, toxic on a relationship a little bit You know right. where I just wanted wanted Out and I, I Speak for Ron I'm pretty sure he wanted out Too you know and it just it Wasn't working it was working Prior you know being friends and Me buying blinds and selling the shows And right. uh, helping him market Advertise and do all that stuff but when we Got business partners Business partners it's, it's the biggest struggle in life uh, Most Partnerships don't work, work. And uh This, in case, was one that wasn't going to work, and we just started to part ways on the back deal. But that didn't really change things as far as, as, you know, using the blinds and things like that. I think, you know, Foles and I, we were traveling around. uh, Foyles is an iron worker working his ass off, you know, that's hard work. And it wasn't year-round work, per se. And uh, he wanted out. He wanted to do something new and different, and I did as well right
0: yeah i mean it's uh, the... know, I,
1: tried, I tried to get hired at, uh, i talked to tim about you know going to work for him and running the duck duck call side of things for him right and we talked about it for you know over a year it right come down to where he didn't want to, really want to grow he wanted to keep it small and i got that and uh but i do it i was doing excavating family-owned excavating and although i like that business i worked with
0: my dad and that was a struggle that's another partnership right right and, oh yeah uh, that's family it, and it work
1: yeah, yeah, it got to the point where I didn't want to dig holes for the rest of my life. I had this passion for waterfowl uh, and hunting, but mainly uh, I've always had a passion to, to design and develop things. And, uh, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to have a partnership with Ryan because here, you know, hey, we just did this bag thing together, and that was a in the ass. So, right. what's the chances of me doing the blind thing with you? Right. And, uh, I had some ideas on how to make a blind collapse down and, and make it so it was more packable. Uh, because living in the Midwest, there's a lot of times you can't drive in fields. Where Ron, he, he didn't understand that philosophy uh, to begin with simply because of where he hunted. You know, most of the fields out there where they're hunting, they're driving in the fields. or It's just a different situation. Right. And right. Uh, I had this design and I made it. I actually uh, had an aluminum bender uh, that I borrowed from a, a friend of mine this uh, electrician uh, for conduit. And I have thin up all these blinds, you know, out of conduit, galvanized conduit, like uh, half-inch conduit. And my sister-in-law has sewing machines and I bought some cotton, uh, mossy oak shadow grass, and uh, a design to finish your blind frame in the concept. And her and I sewed this cover together. And uh, that's how we put it together. We actually made it in her kitchen, you know, the first cover. And put this thing together, and it was a, a full front, you know, a blind. It was a finisher blind, right. what it was. And it was a line that would collapse down. It was real small. You could store it in trailers. It didn't take up very much room. You could actually carry it out to the field because original pro guides and, and final approach blinds um, were big and they were light. But man, they're like carrying a four by eight sheet of plywood out in the field. You know, if the wind was blowing, just nightmare as far as trying to carry it. So. That's how I kind of got started, and I, I did a presentation uh, to Tom Matthews at Avery. at uh, at the Duck Settle Limited show in May of 2000. Uh, I showed it to him. He's like, hey, man, you think you can do another one here in an hour? I have my entire sales force down here at the DU Festival. They're going to be here. We're going to have a meeting, and uh, we've been trying to figure out how to make a laydown line for, I don't know, two, three, four years or whatever. <laughs> we've never been able to make one fold down like that. I doing a presentation, and so we did. And uh, uh, he called me like the following week. He goes, "Hey, man, this is kind of what I'm thinking." Uh, and he gave me an opportunity to. I, I didn't go to work for him. Uh, gave me an opportunity to design and develop that blind manufacturing, and give me a multi-basis deal on it. And I said, "Yeah,
0: right." You know? So you had you had to design before. You had designed. You were just sitting on it. Were you were you worried about you know, presenting it and showing it and somebody ripping you off. I know that, I know that like that's hindsight now, like now you're, you're always trying to, you know, watch what you do, but were you worried about that back then?
1: Uh, now probably two things. Number one, I was probably not smart enough to know. Number two, being a a construction worker, I figured I'd just beat the hell out of somebody (laughs) dead. (laughs) I I I didn't really even cross my mind, you know? I, 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 you know now you, i look at it because i see it happen a lot oh
0: my god yeah, now man, it,
1: you gotta be you gotta be careful but in those days you know uh times have changed days man the the, the uh the hunting world was really small right even smaller it wasn't that many manufacturers and handshakes meant something they That's still right. mean something today less less today than what they used to but you go back 21 years ago i had handshake
0: really meant something yeah i mean it, it depends on who's your who you're you know who you're dealing with yeah. you know on on yeah. that you know whether the handshake is worth it, you know it means something to them and to you, it depends about it, but yeah like your your fifty year old self wants to kick your twenty year old <laughs> self some going, what the hell did you do that for? make a presentation with no patent and you know yeah. no backing, and you want to kick yourself in the ass, but thank God it kind of worked out, and then you know and then you know this whole you know, I, 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 I always say it and, you know, maybe the kids, to, you know, that are coming in now and, and, and don't really know about it. Like, you know, the 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 retail war with Avery and final approach was so real. And it was like, you know, at the box stores, you know, whether it was uh, a, a Cabela's or it was a Bass Pro or it was a Max or Rogers or whatever. You know, you you would literally set up across the aisle and it was who was going to hang their banner, bigger uh who was gonna have more staffers there to sell more shit like who was who was gonna outdo the other one who was gonna win more contest if there was a calling contest you know and it was and it went on for a while and i'm not saying it wasn't neck and neck the whole time you know what i mean you, you know you you know you guys had a lot more uh you guys had a lot more money and staffers products, and products. You know, There's no doubt. I mean, we had no jumped
1: into Avery and Avery was,
0: yep. you know, at that point, they already had been
1: making gun cases and, and bags and boat lines. And so they had a pretty good skew count. Right. And then when I got, got the blind stuff going, uh, that blew up. I mean, we were making them, um, I mean, we made shitloads loads of venture lines, uh, for a long, long time. And Matthew's, uh, Trust me, when I tell you. He don't. He never slept at night. And that that guy, uh, winning was everything in the world to him. Right. And man, he would go to the end of the earth to outmarket,
0: out, out, out anything. Pace right. Pace
1: anybody. That's just his mentality. And uh, it was really good for Avery Greenhead gear because it went long. And then we had the Power Hunter. And then we had Sean Stahl come over. And we had the Migrator. And then next thing you know, we we're making Greenhead gear decoys. Uh, and that, you know, that really, in my opinion, probably revolutionized uh, the, the whole waterfowl
0: world uh, probably as much as anything, you know. Right. Similar to,
1: like, a, a, a delay, the the of the laid-out flying the Rod rock that revolutionized things. Uh, we didn't really revolutionize, you know, all of a sudden we got decoys, but what Greenhead Gear was able to do, what we were able to do is we actually make a really good quality decoy at an affordable price that looked really good because i spent so many days in china you know i've spent almost 700 days of my life in southern china making decoys sitting in the paint lines actually painting decoys right next to the workers learning and showing them spending time after day after day i mean i've even paid you know income tax in china because uh, in 2004, I, I was in China more than I was in America, right? And uh, so you look at that and you look at the uh, the Mojo, you know, the spinning wing decoy, the Mojo, yep. you know, obviously they, they didn't uh, develop that to begin with, but they bought the patent and then come out with the direct drive motor and really perfected that, you know, and so they're at the center of, of that. So there's certain things that really changed waterfowl, and I think uh, uh, I was a Glad to be. In most cases, a part of a majority of it, you know. Yeah, I mean, knew the person, helped, helped promote it, or helped design it, or whatever. It was a pretty cool time. To be
0: there, honest with you. There's it, no doubt. Waterfowl,
1: was... waterfowl, exploded during those. Agreed. Time frames. Because if you go back before that, agreed. To be honest with you, there's no spinning wing decoys. Uh, clothing, Columbia was the very best there was. Yeah. Uh, most people, I grew up wearing car cards, right? Uh, and there was no lay-down blinds prior to that. I think Ron Winneke, in my opinion, was the first to ever really make a lay-down blind. It's called a RIP blind. It looked like a coffin. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I, I, made, I made ground blinds uh, out, of, uh, out of concrete mesh and weed grass in them a long, long, long time ago, like long time ago, in the 80s, right? And I would lay down the fields, and that's how to hunt, but you'd have to flip it off of you and stand up and shoot, or, you know, sit up and shoot. Right. But the geese had no idea. But just being part of that revolution and that evolution and all the design and development parts of all those
0: categories has been pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to look back, you know, I've asked just about everybody on this series about, you know, what are the... What are the top things you could think of changing the waterfowl world just like you were talking about layout blind comes up the spinner comes up uh decoys come up um you know we talk about um what the heck else I'm trying to think there was uh i mean you could you could look at pattern master and you could look at that choke tube you know what i mean and and that system and that that patent you know that was another. Yep. That was another thing that I, I think was, was revolutionary and, and changed, you know, shooting. Obviously, you know, a lot of the ammo companies and, and what they did. But, you know, a couple of those products, you know, changed the whole game. You know, the, I mean, yeah. the short read. I mean, once the short read starts. Yeah, going to say, oh,
1: Christ. the short read was probably one of the biggest things as well. Something because, obviously, there was some people out there that were making it. Keith Hess, uh, with the Hess calls, for, was right. making it, showed him how to do it. Right. Night and Hail. Uh, you know, they had their double cluckers and stuff, which is somewhat similar. It's a short read. Right. So there was some people dabbling in it by grounds, just grabbed that horse and, and, and you went. know, he took a pony and took it and won the Kentucky Derby with it, you know what I mean? He shined it up, perfected it, and then mass-produced it and made it famous, right? So he was, even though he didn't come up with it, he, he's the one, without a shadow of a doubt, that made it what it is today.
0: Right. No question. Well once yep. that once that happens, and listen, you you know, you talk about you and Foyles and, and Sean Stahl and you start going through some of those guys like that. Um and 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 listen, it's it's a natural progression for you guys, you know, and I'm not saying like alpha male, but I'm I'm saying like, you know, thought process as far as I have my own thoughts of designs and ideas. And I want to, I want to make my stuff. Uh, I want to have my, I I don't want to say wanna have my name on it, but I just want to be part of the process. I want to like go after it. I want to do, I want to go after my dream. I want to do this for a living. Like you said, I don't want to, you know, dig ditches you know for the rest of my life and foils doesn't want to work on you know uh, be an iron worker you know listen that's the american dream you want to you want to go after it so so then you know so then you you start making calls foil starts making his calls i mean other than i mean who else is going at that time you have sean man you have sean man you have and it was like R and T and Buck Gardner, like Butch and Buck were kind of going in the South, with calls. I mean, but on the Goose side, it's it's grounds and you and foils pretty much, and Sean Man in the East. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, really. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then Bill Saunders popped up a little bit later in the West. You know, on yep. the West side. Yep. West Coast. Uh, but with that being said, you know, when it comes to Goose calls, uh, I mean grounds, with uh, I mean, he just dominated everything, right? He was he was the first to have that balls to say, hey, I want $150 or $200 for a curly call, you know? <laughs> <I> no. <know. laughs> and he, cre- he, cre- he created that, that, that mindset. I mean, you look at variable tone honkers and you look at half rates and all that, I mean, he was getting $50 for a, a call that cost him about 2 bucks. Right. You know, now he had to do some modification. It wasn't like they just popped out and ready to go. He got tuned or whatever. But, right. Dude. $50 for a plastic call, and it wasn't nothing special. I mean, it sounded
0: special. Right.
1: It damn sure didn't look
0: special, right? No, it and, looked uh, like crap. Like, as yeah. far as a call design, it, I mean, if you put that in a contest, that's when in last place for looks, no doubt.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just sounded unreal. Right. That's the thing. So, <clears throat> yeah. And so once we got started, it got going. The started first, um, and then I, I firstly come up with a duck call a paralyzer xr2 and uh, that was my actually my first call and i did it as a sci-fi because i was selling grounds calls i was selling boils calls in my catalog and <laughs> there's a side note grounds he, he's like I, he may just make me laugh and i told you the story last time we talked Is grounds he'd just like he'd be busy he just sent me a box of calls right and now i'm paying you know, dealer costs for them, they wouldn't even be tuned. They'd just be in a box and all the guts and the reason would be in another box. I mean, I ground, these calls ain't tuned. He goes, I know, Bob. You retuned everything anyway. Just tune them up. I'm busy. You know, full price. Full,
0: full price. You don't get a break you know, for parts. You just right. you got to do it all. Yeah,
1: full price, send cash. Oh, <laughs> crap. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I... I tuned the call a little bit different than Tim. And uh, not to say that one was better than the other or whatever, I tend to tune my calls for, for the customers or what have you uh, a little lighter yes. and easier to blow. And I would have customers actually, they call me and go, hey, do you have a Super Mag and uh, smoke? I'm like, no, I'm sold out. He goes, all right. So they call Grounds, buy, pay a full retail, ship it directly to me and want me to tune it for them. Not saying that was better, right but it I, I would tune it a certain way. It was like uh, tuning a guitar for a dude and he likes the guitar and when he goes by another guitar he wants it tuned the same way. That's right. So I had customers, loyal customers that like what I did and it was a basically an extension of what Tim was doing, right? I was had I had time to do it, I loved to do it. Grounds was, you know, he was so busy in those days and uh it was just an extension of, of
0: them. Well, and you know, your calls have always been. Uh, I, I always I always say on the, on the on the on the goose and duck call side, I would always say, you know, if you get a zinc, you know, you're getting something that's extremely user friendly. And user friendly doesn't mean, you know, like if you're a really good caller, you can't run it. It means that. If you're just getting started or, you know, you don't call a lot or whatever, whatever the case is, you'll always be able to pick this up and run it and be effective on it. You know, that's always been that's always been the deal right there. Whereas you said, you know, grounds, it's a little you need a little more air. You know, I I being out west was, you know, I learned on Saunders, you know, and then when I picked anything else up, I overblew it because his were at that time, hard to blow because Bill's a big guy and puts a lot of air into it, so he's tuning them that way. So when you get it, you know, I could blow the ass end out of a horse, you know what I mean, just blowing that call and picking up anything else, I was just, my lungs were ready for anything. So, so you know, but anybody at a store or a show, you know, you go through a bunch of calls and what can they blow, they end up picking up yours and blowing it. So it's definitely, you know, different styles and different, Ways of looking at things
1: I always Yeah I always tried to design And develop calls For that For The average Or the above average Hunter Um, And Because I knew A a guy that really knew What he was doing Would would Retune the call (laughs) Or put a different read in it And he'd be off to the races But the average cat I mean They can talk And I I've seen this Over and over and over Where guys Be like Dude man Your calls are so awesome And they call me all the time And Just like on message boards like blowing me up like you know the greatest thing in the world greatest calls i never use another call and then you meet them at a show they show up and they got everywhere calls around your neck it's like oh man that's, that's pretty awesome to see right right and they like, hey can you tune my calls and be like go through them whatever and they go hey you want to go and blow it see if it's tuning and they start blowing they can't blow it at all <laughs> right and and so there's so many people out there that are not at the level now i will say the level changed and continues to change sure. to a much higher level the people the amount of people that can blow calls today versus 10 years ago versus 20 years ago is a totally different number back in the day man unless you're from Southern Illinois Kentucky Tennessee Delaware uh, Eastern Shore Maryland or whatever those were the hotbeds that's right? right and those guys were professional guides and the greatest callers in the world come from those spots Goosebumps simply because the goose hunting was the mecca. Right. And, but you, you get outside of that, and, man, it was few and far between uh, people that could blow a call, and, you know, the first technology or the first really media put out there was grounds with VHS tapes. But unless you had a lot of talent, uh, it was hard to understand what the hell's going on, right? But with digital media and oh, yeah. now all these retail stores, uh, the quality of calls is ten times than what it used to be in the instructions. All you got to do is click on YouTube or Google or whatever, and next thing you know, you got five, five different world champions out there blowing yep. calls and talking about what they're doing and giving classes or whatever. Just the amount of information
0: that's there now versus what it used to be is Well, and you talk about you talk about the hotbeds, right? And you talk about, you know, where, like, say, where the goose hunting was good or where the duck uh, duck hunting was good. And there was a lot of callers or if there's a lot of guides and guys had to blow to guys had to kill geese to make a living and stuff like that. But also, like, when you got onto to the uh, whether it was a company or the calling circuit, like if there was somebody in a town that was good and had been to the world championships and and been to Stuttgart or whatever the case may be, and was willing to teach other folks. then then all of a sudden that became a hotbed because then he was teaching some proteges, let's call it, or some you know, younger kids, and then they were coming out of yeah. there. So you know, like Iowa, for instance, you know, you 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 pick that and you go, you know, Iowa and duck calling, yeah, you know what I mean? because if you have somebody there that all of a sudden is is going, you know, Todd Copley or whatever, he comes out of there and he teaches a couple other kids and they come out of there, like, forget it, and then it's a hotbed. So that totally, yeah. and then that totally turns the industry and, and puts Iowa on the map or puts, you know, somewhere else on the map. So, and that, that totally changed, you know, everybody's outlook on a on a place then, you know, so that yeah. that absolutely the other, happened. The
1: other, the other thing that really revolutionized all this stuff was just the amount of Canada geese yeah. uh, growing up as a kid be honest you, you very seldom see Canada geese in most states travel around my dad used to show horses and uh, so we travel every state you can imagine and I've been all over the United States since I was a young young man you know you, I was a kid right and my dad was into elk hunting so we'd be in Colorado Wyoming he'd be mule deer hunting I'd go with him when I, and stay in camp and stuff like that and I'm United States, and you just didn't see Canada geese, man. They just weren't around. And with the the the, uh, the comeback that the giant Canada Goose has had, uh, I remember we killed, I think it was about uh, 82, 81 or 82. We killed like nine geese in a year in Ohio. Right front, front cover, uh, or uh, right inside the, the page, because there was no Canada geese. That was a big deal. You just didn't see them. And by 1986, 87, there was a lot of them. And by 1988, dude, they were everywhere. And, um, you know, a couple hundred of them during that year, and an hour blind. And uh, it just exploded. But it was happening all over, you know, Michigan, right. Indiana, uh, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, all these places. Next thing you know, they're scattered everywhere. And because of that, hunters started hunting them. They had that early news. They in golf courses. Yep. It's just been, to be honest with you, it's been a conservation uh, achievement. And most people look at it like, oh, there's Canada geese everywhere. No big deal. It didn't used to be like that, man. That, that was a great thing. Uh, and a huge success in the conservation side of things is the Canada Goose. Right. Probably one of the biggest ones in history.
0: Yeah, and that changed, that changed the whole the whole category of what to sell, you know, layout blinds, yeah. then goose decoys, then this, then that, and then calls. Yeah. Because if they, if they're not that abundant, that doesn't happen. You know, you, you said, you know, Saunders came along later. Well, that's when the the boost here of geese kind of happened out West. You know what I mean? If, yeah. Yeah. if that doesn't happen out here, you know, that doesn't get going. Like we just had a surge in the past five years or, or so of snow geese over in Eastern Washington where Bill is like, so now right. that whole flyway is changing again. So now there's like a boom of snows. So, you know, and, and before, if you shot a snow, I mean, holy crap. Like that was like you said, you get in the newspaper or, you know, it's a big deal and everybody's sharing the picture and holy shit. So-and-so shot a snow goose, you know, uh, insane. But now it's just, yeah. now it's a regular occurrence over there. So, so, yeah, whatever's happening definitely changes the, you know, the category and what's going on in, the, in that flyway and those areas. So that that's great for the industry and keeps, you know, keeps the innovation going. And, and listen, the birds are always getting conditioned and learning, so you always got to kind of try to be ahead of them and you're always trying to make a better mousetrap.
1: Yeah, 100%. If you look at the boom of all this evolution of products, it uh, all comes. You know, a lot of cases, especially all the Canada Goose products they come in the boom of the, the giant local Canada Goose, you know. Yeah. It mirrored it 100% timing-wise.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, listen, when, um, you know, the the duck numbers were were really good, I guess, going through that 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 section when the spinner pops out, right? and uh, And then all of a sudden that comes out and... You know, all of a sudden, everybody that has a shotgun and a camo jacket, you know, can take that spinner and put it somewhere and kill some ducks. I mean, it makes it just, you know, insane. So, I, yeah, you man, know,
1: when, when uh, it first come out, it was insane. Like, it's it's still effective on young ducks and, and field ducks and yes. sunshine. And, and there's still a place for them, no doubt. Yes. But when they first come out, it was uh, <laughs> it was insane.
0: Everybody has a story, you know. Everybody I, t- I talked to in this series, everybody has had a story about a spinner, you know what I mean? And the first time they used it, it was, I mean, it was, it was life changing on the waterfowl side, you know, for hunting. There's no doubt about it. So
1: <laughs> I remember being uh, we were at a weird shot show Grouse, and Grouse goes, Hey, Bob, come here. You got to see this deal. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was a, what was it, two guys? Uh, there were two guys that come out with them in California. Uh, was it a fatal attraction? What was the first spinner?
0: See, and that's what Ron couldn't remember the guy's name. He said it was Dave something he thought of, and it was in California, and then Mojo yeah. ended up buying the patent, and that is correct. And yeah. then it goes off from but, there, uh, but I couldn't remember it yeah, either.
1: So, yeah, it would have been, uh, been like... Uh, so the patent expired last year. It was 19-year patent. Right. Uh, Mojo's. So when you look it back about 21 years, 20, 21, 19, 20 years ago. Yeah, it was like two somewhere. Thousand. That, yeah.
0: Would have been two yeah, thousand like two, somewhere in there or ninety nine. Right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. I think oh. it was. Uh, I think we're in Atlanta uh, at the shot show down there. Gotcha. And grounds like, hey, I see this deal. And I walked over, looked at it, and I came back, and the guy had video of ducks landing on it and stuff, you know. <laughs> I come back and say, hey, what do you think of that deal? I go, man, I don't know. That's kind of odd to me. I can't believe it worked. He goes, hey, Bob, I want to give me a couple of <laughs> And he was right and I was wrong. He was pretty convinced because the ground's convinced about on anything. But I was a little skeptical, man. I was wrong, dude.
0: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> that, that thing was unbelievable, right?
0: Well, but but here's the other thing. Like, on, on geese, it's, a, you know, a deterrent for, for the most part. You know what I mean? If you don't they shut got, them off.
1: something. Yeah. Ain't that something uh you got you know, obviously two waterfowl. You got Canada geese and uh, or it's basically all geese. Any you right. got ducks. One flies into it and, like it and tries to land on it and the other one won't come within a hundred yards of it.
0: It's a magnet. It's kinda, you know yeah. one side one know. side is positive, the other side is negative. There is there is no no doubt, no other explanation, no nothing. They do not yeah. like you know, that motion. But then you know, but then you go to, you know, what Randy Bartz did in the flags and you go, look how effective that is on the geese. You know, use in the right way and, you know, all that other yeah. stuff, but look how effective that is. And the ducks could, you know, I mean, the they ducks, really they could give a shit about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah.
1: They could care less. Ducks and less. geese, uh, ducks and geese are, even though you, from, uh, from uh, outside looking in, you would think it would be uh, similar or exact, but to be honest with you, and, and more. More cases than not, they're almost exact opposite.
0: opposite. Yeah. Of
1: how you hunt them, why you hunt them a certain way. Uh, I believe their vision is totally different. Um, with how they see, I don't. I don't really think that uh, ducks can see UV colors uh, to the to the same degree as Canada geese or all geese.
0: Right. All uh, geese. Right.
1: Especially Right. Certain light conditions. Uh, geese are almost impossible to decoy, and. In those same conditions, ducks come right in and land, but geese will flare at 100 yards. There, there's something to it. I don't know what it is. It's definitely vision, and I'm pretty positive uh, because the light condition usually happens that it is definitely you mean
0: oriented, 100%. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it, you know, like you said, the more the more you think they're the same, they're, the more really they are polar opposites on, on a lot yeah. of stuff. There's no doubt about yeah. it. You know, and, and yeah. listen, they've evolved – you know, and they evolve as the, the products evolve, you know, and, you know, I always I always say they don't really they're not really they're not they don't really learn like they're not really s- like like smart learning process different. They just get conditioned to, you know, hey, when we come down and, and we see this thing spinning, you know, bad sh- bad shit happens. You know, you can only see that so many times until they go, hey that's the that's the death thing down there don't go down there so you know they get they get hip to you know everything that goes on so and you just you know learn as you go but I, i don't know you know it's such a it's such a cool thing trying to study it and figure stuff out and 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 the more you can read on it and the more stuff like that the more stuff you can figure out and just watching them you know you learn every time you watch them i mean if you know the thing about it is, if you if you think you've learned everything in waterfowling, no matter how many years you're at it, you know you got the game all wrong because you it know. changes.
1: <laughs> it's changing. Uh, it changes throughout the course of the year. Things that uh, right. that worked at the beginning of the year all of a sudden doesn't work at the end of the year, and then the next year uh, it's like it conti- that, that trend continues. Things you were doing at the beginning of the year. Uh, doesn't even work at the beginning of the year. You know what I mean? It's just... Well, in the it's
0: all, and the weather...
1: And it goes to calling. Yeah. Uh, that's the one thing that I'll say that I seen really, really change is because of the amount of people that can blow a goose call really well now, uh, back in the day, Mario, it was like unbelievable what you could do with a goose call on with Canada geese. Like, I remember going to Kansas, and we'd be walking, pheasant hunting in Milo Fields, pheasant hunting, they would be panda geese flying around out there, coming off the refuges, and I'd start blowing that goose call, and they'd come right to us and fly over, and we'd shoot them. Typically, by the end of the t- day, pheasant hunt, we'd almost have living a living of pan of geese uh, just walking around in Milo fields blowing goose calls because they never heard anything like that. Right. You know, hunters couldn't make that sound, and, but now, shit, man, you can take three world champions and put them in a pit, and they'll fly over you like you're invisible some days, not even, not even hit a beat. Like if, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I got Jimmy Wren, who, who's uh, been on the East Coast of Maryland and hunted all over. He's a hell of a, a hell of a goose caller, but a extremely good waterfowler in general. And he's just like, dude, I, I've never seen geese where I live here in Ohio. Late in the year, yeah, when there's snow and there's a little bit of half to feed in them, where they gotta go out to eat. But other than that, man, if they Number one, you got to be able to see them in the daylight because half the time they fly after dark, right? Right, they're nocturnal. Uh, but if you do, and they can be coming right to you, pick that goose call up and blow it very much, nine times out of ten, they'll just go the other way. It's what? insane. I've never never seen any place like it in my life. Uh, you can call them, but you got to be really careful what you do and how you do it. It's just strange that it's changed that much.
0: Well, and you, <clears throat> you were talking about, you know, stuff at the beginning of the year. Uh, what works and what doesn't work but the thing about it is you know you roll over from last year to this year and the weather is totally different because obviously they're going to act differently in the weather so last year at this time you could have had brand new birds and the weather was flat right sunny and not cold and the birds aren't doing anything and then the next year comes and you got no birds and the wind is just howling and the weather's terrible and the temperature drops but you got no birds so guess what both both of those situations you're sitting on a goose egg so what does it matter you know what i mean so there's so many factors that get thrown into it and you know you just gotta you know you just gotta keep going after it and grinding and pulling out what tricks you think you're gonna work and this and that you know so it's just a total process and and you know one of the things that I bring them up now with the and this is a perfect way to to get into it is that the amount of education and what's out there and there's like you said there's a ton of stuff on the on the internet and you could click on something and find out how to do anything right right but the thing that that I've watched is the icons in the waterfowl section are just kind of you know everybody's getting older as past and and we we don't have those people to look up to grounds passed away butch richenbach passed away you know buck's not on the road as much you know rick dunn doesn't do much from echo you don't see him uh the guys you know jimbo and them at rnt are out a little bit stalls out you're out a little bit uh you know you know saunders is out you know foils is out but it's just like you know there's not as much interaction and you don't have all those shows to go to and sit down and, and like you said we talked about when you were buying something you just sit there and talk to somebody you had the same interest and you were just you were just a sponge just soaking it up you know about this that and the other thing and talking hunting and I think I you know we just miss we just don't have those icons and that those guys to look up to as much for this younger generation and you know even just new well, hunters
1: I, I, th- I, I think it's we do, but it's different. And what I mean by that is, uh, when we were doing it, there wasn't a lot of, there was no digital media, right? Right. And so, uh, if you were on in magazines, or you're on video, or TV, um, you were kind of the icon simply because you got the media, but there wasn't many of us getting that, right? Right. It was a handful, like, the handful that you mentioned were pretty much the handful, right? Right. But now... With digital media, everybody's got a platform. So instead of having 8, 10, 12 guys that were like the icons, right now there's like, you know, 400 of them, right? True. Or 500 of them with YouTube channels or what have you. And so instead of being one guy being so big, you got a bunch of people There's that has a following, but it's just spread out. It's just a different culture, you know? And with these, a lot of these young kids, man, they're able to soak, stuff up by simply watching video seeing and doing uh, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of that it's just different the, the issue with probably what's going on now there's some people out there um uh, that probably have followings that people listen to them in some cases they don't know what the hell they're talking about some well, do
0: that's what i was going to get don't.
1: at you know some don't and if you if you didn't know what the hell you're talking about back in the day you weren't going to have a TV show or you weren't going to be in articles or what have you. You really had to know what was going on. And those people still exist today, but ciphering through who knows what, that's the hard part. You know, a lot of people get let down wrong path, wrong information. I see it all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I just keep my mouth shut. None of my business. But yeah. there's a lot of self-proclaimed experts out there that, you know, probably couldn't hunt themselves out of a wet paper bag, generally speaking.
0: Well, and I think I think that's the kind. I, I think that's what I look at, kind of, because with the with all the the pluses of social media and how much is out there, you do have that other. You know, you have that bad side of of doing certain things or, or or watching somebody that does it a certain way. And it, I'm not saying it's not the right way. It's just a different way, and maybe it's just not the best way for the sport or this or that or whatever. So yeah, you you do have that because back in the day. You know, if you saw somebody at a show or you saw somebody, just like you said, TV, video, or whatever, they earned it and got on and were just, you know, like like they were true stewards of the sport and were there for a reason and the whole deal. But now it's now it's just like anybody that, you know, like, listen, you don't have to take a test to put something on YouTube. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you,
1: you. yeah I, think, I, I think the people that are uh, famous on YouTube and, and a lot of the people now, are better at digital marketing than they are hunting you know <laughs> and you got you got these rednecks that all they do is hunt and they're the best there is they don't want to be on social media you know i was my dad would have kicked my ass if i have told somebody where we shot a limit of ducks when i grew up you know <laughs> there's and no now you doubt. got these people out there showing pictures and we, yeah we're over here and there's public land killed him or whatever
0: oh my god you get your ass have, beat my partner would have done that back in the day i swear
1: to god i George's his house and burned it down you know <laughs> and it's just it's a totally different deal but they're still you know i'll be honest with you some of the best hunters in the world generally speaking are probably people we've never even heard of in a lot of cases That's right. you know what i mean because they're just good at what they do they'll promote it they just like going and they're really good it's good to have both people that yeah. care about sharing and you know, we, we shared a lot of information, number one, because it was a business, and, right. it, and, and, and that funded it. I've always tried to go out of my way to teach people how to be more successful. Instead of a hard sell of, of why you should buy my decoys or my blind or my right. my calls, I was more about, hey, this is a tool and the reason why we made it this way, and this is how you use it in the field. Because right. I always believe if you could teach somebody to be more effective, in the field number one they're going to go more right if they go more they're going to get better at it and then because yep. we need hunting numbers we need people yes. to make sure that we carry on this tradition but then those people
0: they get good things then they want to share in some cases yep.
1: so then they're taking young hunters or they're taking their buddy from work or what have you and it, it's just it's good to be successful because successful people uh, in, in a lot of cases as they get more successful they become more conservation minded Right. Uh, they start being more stewards of the land, start yep. donating back to the cause, doing the right thing nine times out of 10. Uh, and the people that are not very successful once the day they are successful is the day they're going to shoot, you know, five times their limit because they've never had that experience before. Uh, and so it's just totally changed. You know? Well, and I, I just believe that success is a, just such a positive thing.
0: Well, and that helps everything. Listen, it, like you said, it helps conservation. It helps. It helps get more numbers. It helps people have more fun. It keeps, you know, and listen, it, it's a business. So it keeps businesses going and being able yeah. to create more products and do more things and and stay in business and people to have a living at, at what they love to do. And it keeps that going. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen, I have you know, I was not in the hunting industry, you know, a a, a while ago, I didn't start in it. And, and when I got into it, I was always, uh, just, and, and I know you were the same way you were using something that you believed in. And if you told somebody about it, you believed in it and you were okay talking about it because you, you weren't, you just weren't bullshitting them. You know what I mean? You were telling them, Hey, this is a, this is, I use this, this is really good. Like I've never tried to uh you know i've never s- tried to sell something that i didn't believe in or i didn't think would work and and i think if i if i did that uh like that's probably time for me to get out or i sh- or I, I i i wouldn't even allow myself to do that you know what i mean it's just a weird i don't know it's a weird thing for me it, you know uh, i'll tell you a short side note like okay so i was in the radio business before and there would be guys like record representatives that would come to the radio stations and like try to, you know, take you to dinner and lunch and stuff. So you would play their record. Right. And if it was a shit record, like I wouldn't want to do it. So I would, I would just like, they say, Hey, we're going to, you know, so-and-so steakhouse, you know, like the most expensive steakhouse in the city. Right. And I'd just be like, yeah, I can't go. I got, I got too much work to do. Even when I was the music director and I was like in charge of the music, I'd be like, yeah, I can't go. Cause I didn't like the record. And if I didn't like the guy, like, I don't know, I was just brought up like, if I don't like somebody, I'm not going to sit down and eat a meal with them. That's just how I was brought up. You know what I mean? So yeah. I didn't put myself yeah, in that yeah. situation. Cool. So that's, that's, you know what I mean? And that's the same thing. And I, and I know you've been like that, you know, we've spent enough time together, you know, you, you are not going to promote something that you don't think is going to work or is good or, or any of that stuff. So I'm just a, I don't know. Maybe, I, like you said, it's. It, I guess it's just old school, but that's just me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. I think it's – I agree 100%. I've turned out a lot, a lot of different opportunities or money uh, to promote things that, to be honest with you, I'd say, uh, uh, you know, send it to me. I'll try it or whatever, and I'd get it. Right. A lot of the times I would box it up and send it back to them. Like, hey, I got this thing back. Do you don't like it? It's like, uh, no, I don't. It's just not something I want to put my name or reputation on. Well, mean something.
0: Well, and that's funny. Like you said, you sent it back because I, I've done the same thing. Like, Hey, like, listen, I know you're trying to promote this and I know you're trying to work with this, but I don't, it doesn't fit my deal. And I don't even want to keep it for free because I don't, I don't feel like that's the right thing either. So yeah. 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 <laughs> awesome. Fred Zink, everybody. We're talking to Fred. You could, you could check out, uh, Fred stuff. Obviously, you know, him at ABNX and Zink calls and everything about Fred and he's on you know, if you want to learn how to goose call, duck call, whatever, find, the, find YouTube videos on him and go check it out. And, you know, is there anything you want to close with or anything comes to mind or anything you want to leave with? No, man, I just appreciate the opportunity. It's been a long
1: time. Obviously, uh, you and I have been friends for a long time, worked together for quite a, quite a few years, and uh, just appreciate the opportunity. I know you're doing good things over there at FA, and uh, that brand is looking good, and I enjoy watching the hard work, man. It's all
0: good. You got to keep the grind going, bro. And you got to soak it in and mentor. And, you know, listen, I learned a lot from you when I was working there and everything else. And and there's a ton of other guys. So it's been a a great ride. And I get to do this for a living. So, you know, when when you get up in the morning and you get to talk about waterfowl hunting and and doing stuff in the waterfowl world, like, there, there really is nothing else, you know. There isn't anything better. I mean, that's just yeah, flat out. the American dream. It's, it,
1: that's what I tell. I get a lot of young people that call me or I talk to them and like, hey, what, what do you think I should do? And they even my own kids. Yeah. And um, like my daughter, she's second year of law school. She loves school. She's got directed. She want, knows what she wants to do. Gunner, he, uh, he doesn't really know what he wants to do. And the information that I give him is simple. If you find something you love to do. That's right. So you never have to set an alarm clock. That's you right. Know, I never set a alarm clock unless I get up at three o'clock in the morning to go to the airport because I wake up early and I'm ready to go every morning because I do something I love to do. That's and right. And I have for a long, long time. And it makes a difference because huge. And ne- He never would be caught in a job. You know, a lot of people get caught uh, in a job or in an area where they just, it's making ends meet, right? They got to make, and I get it. And there's more people like that than there isn't. But if you're able to, do something on the side. And that's how I got started. Like I did the construction, excavating. You yeah. I like that to be honest with you. I, I didn't dislike it whatsoever, but I started this call bit or selling calls and decoys and all this stuff on the side and then guiding on the side, the blowing and calling contests and started making a living as a side business. And once that side business got big enough, you know, like my first employee was field hugging, my second one was playing, right. you know, and, and so when it was all said and done, I started, and I had a business. Uh, when I hired those guys, I was, you know, working for Avery Greenhead Gear. And uh, I never, I started Zinc calls in 2000. I took my first true paycheck out of Zinc Halls <laughs> in 2009. Okay. A lot of people go, oh, you know, making your own business or whatever, you make a lot of money, that's for shit. It can and it will, but uh, I wanted to grow a company, and so our profits uh, went back into the business. Right, my wife Dawn, she worked her butt off, she took a check and stuff. Yep. But uh, myself, I did. You know, I was fortunate enough to have another job right. where it paralleled what I did at that point, working for Avery Greenhead Gear. But right. You no, know, start a start a side business. You know, the folks out there listening, if you don't like what you do. It doesn't have to be in the hunting world. It can be whatever you want.
0: Yeah, find something consulting.
1: you love. You know, it can be white tail, start a consulting business, plant trees, plant doing this, doing that. Next thing you know, your side business, you're making more money doing that than you are your regular job, and then you have a decision to make, you know. And I think that's, uh, that's the American dream. Yep. It still exists today. I don't think it's nowhere near what it used
0: to be. Yeah, right. But,
1: but uh, I think it's still it still there. It damn sure uh, exists, and I got the old rule of thumb, and, hope this country don't ever forget about it is the harder you work and the smarter you work, the more you should make.
0: There's and no, nothing doubt. should be free. I mean, that's how you got to do it. You gotta, you gotta grind it out and go for it and live the dream and do all that. So it's, it's pretty simple. Yes. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Bubba. Listen, oh, okay. I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, hope to see you soon. Hope all is well. I tell Don and everybody yeah, I said okay. hi.
1: I'll, I'm going to come see you tell Coley better warm up that basketball because I'm coming to kick his ass
0: again. Bro, he grew a little bit. He's ready for you. <laughs> so he's, Yeah, he
1: probably be rejecting <laughs> me now.
0: <laughs> he'll be ready for you. I I, I can assure you that because he's already starting to try to push dad around. So, yeah, he, 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 he'll he yeah, be yeah, ready yeah. for you. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I might have to fly out and offer a
0: challenge. There you go. All right, bud. All hey, right, I'll talk to you soon. See you, bud. Thanks. All, All right. right. See you right, tomorrow. Bye. Fred Zate, man, you don't uh, – I mean, he, he doesn't need any more, uh, uh, you know, accolades or anything. If you don't know who he is, uh, he is uh, the consummate professional, uh, mentor, um, innovator. I mean, that's probably the best word. You know, Fred's got a 100 things going on in his mind and, and puts them down on paper and goes for it. He He's been great for the sport uh and, and great for everything about waterfowl and, and those are the kind of guys that just you know just set the tone uh for the waterfowl industry and the hunting industry as well so so big shout outs to him for coming on and, and sharing all that info It's pretty cool kind of going back and especially you know listen if you ever see him uh you know ask him for one of the ground stories because he's got so many damn stories that'll just make you make your stomach hurt it's just painful. <laughs> all right that's the fa podcast uh you know talking about the history of final approach and the waterfowl uh you know category and arena is just it's just it's just grown and it's just evolved and it's just been so incredible to kind of be be along for the ride so that's what we got for today uh big ups to uh the partners for me and final approach and that's weatherby and Federal Ammunition and Roger Sporting Goods and Ranchland Outfitters up in Alberta. Uh, big shout outs to everybody there for partnering up with us and uh, and hanging with us the the whole uh, the whole time. Appreciate it. All right, that's it for the FA podcast. I'm Mario. How about